Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Browns fans, the picks are in, and the Panthers took their guy, and it wasn't the Ohio State guy, it wasn't the Kentucky guy, but it was the Alabama guy. So today, we're going to revisit our friend Braden and have our friend Delmar come on, and we're going to rehash the number one pick. You're listening to the What the Elf Was That podcast an iconoclastic look at the latest Cleveland Browns news. The What the Elf Was That podcast is part of the Fanatical Elves podcast network, a part of the Fans First Sports Network. Here's your host, Joel Cade. The picks are in and we're back. And you know Brayden's looking for a chance to gloat because his guy got picked. So we're back for the follow-up on the What the Elf Was That, the with the first pick edition. So back with us again is Braden Cameron. Braden, how you doing? Hey, what's up? I'm good. I'm good. I'm Braden here from uh, myfox8.com in Greensboro if you want to read any of my stuff. But uh, hey, we're doing good. Bryce Young's a Panther. Uh, indeed he is. And we're also joined tonight by Delmar Miner. Now, you guys may not know this, but Delmar and Braden and I used to be a part of a Panthers podcast, and Delmar was the great host, the awesome man. Thought I'd pull him back on for this one. Welcome, Delmar. Hey, thanks for having me, Joel. And uh, yeah, we took Bryce Young, man. Keep pounding. So how do you guys feel about the Bryce Young pick? I'm going to kick this off to Braden first. I know he wants to gloat, so just just do it. Get your gloating time in. Let's just do it. I mean, I'm, I'm ecstatic. Uh, as Delmar knows, from the beginning, I kind of uh, faded the reports that we were obviously going to take Stroud. That was someone reported uh, when the pick, or when the trade for the first pick was first made. But like I've said, I've remained consistent with it. I think Bryce Young is the best quarterback in the class. I think he has the best tape in the class. I think his tape doesn't really show me much to be concerned about with his size as a limiting factor in terms of impacting the upside of his play. Well, I do understand the durability concerns. Anybody can right, let's give Delmar a chance to weigh in yeah. here. Delmar, tell us what you got, man. 
Who okay. are you? What are you about? So, quick story. I was on the CJ Stroud train the whole time. I won't Good lie. Man. Uh, Good man. And, and, let, and let me, I'm going to tell you why. And the size really was an issue for me. Um, I wasn't comfortable having a smaller quarterback. But I have to say, my man Braden uh, basically sat me down and we had an intervention. <laughs> and seriously, no, no, this is how it I went. believe that he's very adamant about this, Bryce. He, he so I, I do believe down, this is an intervention. And he presented all the information regarding Bryce, uh, the S2 uh, cognition test or whatever it's called. And um, I was shocked when I saw the numbers and I was like, wow, like, so CJ Stroud must have an issue with processing information. And I saw how high Bryce was. And, you know, it just kind of just put me in a the aspect of, you know what? We need somebody that's going to be able to read defenses. We need somebody that's going to be able to die in those plays. Um, we haven't had a quarterback like that. No offense to Cam, really ever, um, that has the – You mean Baker Mayfield wasn't the quarterback? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> no, no. But, I mean, I can honestly say, like, now I am – I'm a Bryce Young fan. I mean, go nine. If y'all don't know, he chose that number to wear, so that's what he'll be wearing. Okay. Get that. You've heard it here. Get your number nine jerseys. Get them now. So one thing about Delmar, if you'll notice on the screen there, it's got at Seafood Delmar. Delmar is one of these people that does Kung Fu. And if you listen to any of my other podcasts I do, the one I do, Rocket Science, Philosophy, and Football with my friend Elliot, he and I love to talk about how Kung Fu intersects with football because he's done Kung Fu for 10 years. I've done some Kung Fu, not real good at it, but I've tried. And I know Delmar knows a lot about Kung Fu. Braden, were you on the Kung Fu train? <laughs> I am uh, I am not. I am not. Uh, he is not on the Kung Fu train. Time. You need I'm to get on the Kung Fu train. That's all I'm saying. Like, <laughs> there are so many intersections between Kung Fu and football. But we will get to this later. That's coming. There's the teaser for the Kung Fu. All right, so let's just keep asking here about Bryce Young. So my, my initial thoughts on Bryce Young kind of remind me of when the Browns took Baker Mayfield. And I'm not comparing the two. I just want to talk about the talk coming up to the pick, right? And that draft with Baker Mayfield, as Browns fans will remember, you had Josh Allen, you had Sam Darnold, you had um, – who was the other one? Rosen. Josh Rosen, that's it. And I was a big Sam Darnold, Josh Allen guy because I like the size, the this, the that. Then somebody came up to me and said, Joel, what would you think of Baker Mayfield if he was 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", 240 pounds? Wouldn't you draft him? I was like, yeah, I would draft Baker Mayfield. I mean, at the time, Baker Mayfield was PFF's highest rated quarterback in the history of college football. So take that for what it will. And Carolina, you guys got to see Baker Mayfield up front just – just as much as, well, not just as much, but you saw enough to know why it was necessary to get rid of him and bailed on him halfway through the season. So, (laughs) turns out, I think in Cleveland, the height and the weight, not the weight, the height was an issue. What do you guys think the Panthers are going to do to offset some of the height issues? Or do you even think it's an issue? Brady, you need to set up on this. I'll go first. So, for one, I think just on tape, the things you would typically anticipate a smaller and height quarterback to struggle with. I personally don't think Bryce Young struggles with all that much. I believe he had two batted passes his senior year at Alabama. He is a 
excellent passer targeting the middle of the field, which is also something that a short quarterback such as Kyler, who also came out of the uh, same offensive system as Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma, has struggled with in the NFL. So I'm not extremely concerned about his height. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be, you know, isolated plays where it probably flares up. But from mm-hmm. a just consistent basis, I don't think his height is all that much of an issue. As well as Baker's thing, especially in Carolina, I personally feel like height was not really the main problem. I oh, think I don't think that was Baker's main problem either. Yeah. Baker's main problem was Baker Mayfield. But height, <laughs> I think, had an issue for Baker Mayfield. What do you think, Delmar? Well, you know, to kind of piggyback off what Braden was saying, I feel like um, I'm going to go to the coaching staff. I think the coaching staff is, might I say, basically the NFL's version of the Avengers. Uh, (laughs) I'm serious. Like, if you look at Carolina's coaching staff, it is amazing. And whatever quarterback was going to come into this situation would have a good chance to thrive. And since we have basically – one of the smartest quarterbacks that that's ever come out, you know, uh, I mean, his processing is just out of this world. Um, I feel like you're going to see a lot of shotgun, um, a lot of RPO uh, that's been reported that we're going to run a lot of that. So I don't expect him to be on the center much, but I expect a lot of uh, just using, you know, the play calling is going to be such where Bryce can just survey the field and, and find the passing lanes. Uh, he's really good at, navigating the pocket uh based on his college film and so i don't honestly see him having an issue uh in the nfl regarding his height now maybe his size in the beginning might be an issue because he is a somewhat slender man but i i do feel like he's smart enough to uh protect himself and he won't see him take the big hits uh like people think so so Delmar, I mean, tell me why do you think this is a, an avengers coaching staff just, what about the coaching staff makes you think these these are the Avengers? Why are we putting a cape on them and, and showing up at the stadium? Stacked man. Oh, my God. <laughs> First off, okay, we, we have Jim Caldwell. We have Josh McCowan as our quarterback. <laughs> you guys probably don't see this, but, uh, you know, Brayden's giving us the the money thing it, here. It, but, but it's true. You know, daily, <laughs> you know, I mean, the list just goes on and on. Idro Evero is our defensive coordinator. Uh, Thomas Brown is the offensive coordinator. So let me tell you this. What you're going to see off Carolina staff is it's going to mimic the San Francisco 49ers. There are going to be so many head coaching candidates that are going to come from our staff. Um, I mean, I mean, we just have so much talent. I mean, heck, Dom Capers is a senior defensive yeah. assistant. I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous the amount of football knowledge and talent that is surrounded uh, in Carolina right now, we've never had a coaching staff like this ever. And so, so let me, let me, can we tell you a story? Go ahead. Go ahead. Let me tell you a story that all, all these Browns fans are familiar with. All right. So we hired this guy. His name was Mike Pettin. Okay. I remember. And he came in and he brought in this guy that looked like he was 12 years old. Jim O'Neill. You look at this guy's picture, look, pull him up on the internet. He looked like he was 12 years old running the defense. All right. And then they hired this unknown guy. We all know him now, but they hired this unknown guy named Kyle Shanahan to run the offense. Mm. Okay. And then the whole thing just started falling apart. You know, you had the whole Ray Farmer with the cell phones and blah, 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 blah. So, so they decide we're not going to do this again. We're not going to hire this, this brand new head coach. I mean, nobody ever heard of Mike Pettin. Nobody still has never heard of Mike Pettin, but nobody had heard of Mike Pettin at the time. So listen to that. We're going to get this 
experienced coach. And we're going to bring in these experienced assistant coaches. So they went out and they got a proven offensive coordinator to become their head coach. And then they hired every experienced coordinator and assistant coach you could absolutely find. And then the team rattled off one victory in two seasons. So I'm going to say that you can talk about a coaching staff being experienced, but they can experience you to one in 15 and zero in 16. So what, what makes that not happen with this coaching staff? So I'll add one. Right. I think we have a good blend of old and new. So like while we have Frank Reich, who I think is a you know, long in the tooth NFL veteran, we have like our, like I said, down said our senior defensive assistant, Don Capers, you know, very long in the tooth. It's the Panthers original coach. When we became an expansion team, you've got a Jim Caldwell, senior assistant, another guy, you know, very long in the tooth. Coach Wake Forest in the '90s, uh, probably best known for his, uh, his years with the Colts and the Lions. But we also have, you know, fresh young minds. We have Josh McCown as a quarterback coach, where he is like Josh McCown. Year. He's going to be his first coach, coach, by the way. This he's is going to be his first coach, coach in the NFL. But he's a guy that's had a lot of noise around him for the Texan head coaching job the last couple of years. Ever, Ever was very young. I believe he's on okay. in his 40s. It was his first year as a coordinator last year with the Broncos, and he came on very strong. Thomas Brown is also very young. Uh, he played at Georgia, you know, like in the 2000, like Matthew Stafford era. So it was actually a funny, he was a Matthew Stafford's office coordinator. They were teammates in college. <laughs> so I think we actually have, you know, we have Parks Frazier came in to be our passing coordinator. He uh, had his first shot as a coordinator with the uh, Colts last season. So I think we have a very good mix of fresh young blood and old minds. Which I think with the Brown staff, I think it was a little bit guilty of a kind of a PR show. You know, there's a lot of names. You know, names that people recognize. Not with Hugh Jackson. <laughs> not with Hugh Jackson. You know, that's not a PR show. Attempted. I, I didn't say it was successful. <laughs> no, it was an I'm, attempt. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. There's nobody in Cleveland that has a nice thing to say about Hugh Jackson. All right. I mean, I didn't say it was successful, but there was an attempt. <laughs> I mean, he was one in thirty-one over two seasons, and then after the yeah. first season, with one in fifteen, he said, "If we do this again, I'm going to jump in the lake." He did. And he did so, jump in the lake. He did. <laughs> but you know, people wanted him to jump in the lake on January thirty-first, one thirty-one, but he didn't do that. He waited till like the spring. He's supposed to get a hard stint or something. I don't know, but you know, whatever. We had to have Y'all a parade. To kill the man? Golly, jeez! Oh, he's man. killing us as fans. Are you kidding oh my me? God. Do you see people showing up to the games with bags on their heads and stuff, man? Come on. We had a freaking parade for the guy. The 0-16 parade. With Matt Rule? Come on. <laughs> Speaking of Matt Rule, let's talk. Let's just, we're going to be all over the board today. Yeah. Let's just get into that conversation. So you guys remember back we were doing the On the Prowl podcast, and then uh, Matt Rule got hired, and everybody's like, oh, this is a great hire. And I'm sitting there like, I don't know about this. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be a good hire or not. And they're like, well, why not? I was like, because it's a college hire. And those college hires never work out. They just don't. They come in. They try to run these things like a great dictatorial machine. But it brings me to Tepper's comments that he made the other day in the press conference. I don't know if you guys saw the press conference where um, I believe it was Fitterer and Reich were talking after they took the first round, right? And Tepper comes out, says all the right things the owner should say. But he made an interesting comment um, about the process, right? That the process was different this time. And I'm like, well, that's pretty good because the process last time was pretty scary. And you guys remember the process from last time? 
There was no process. No. I, exactly. Okay. There was no process. But go no ahead. Process. I interrupted. Yeah, it was the terrible. Process. So literally, literally the last process. time, it was, we interviewed one coach. We interviewed Mike McCarthy. And they pretty much came on and said, we interviewed Mike McCarthy essentially to practice what it was like to interview. Right. We didn't really have any intention of actually hiring Mike McCarthy. Right. <laughs> so we thank Mike McCarthy. Or Dave Tepper's like, thank you for like teaching me how an NFL head coaching interview works. All right, moving on. All right, so, so then they did to, what? They they flew to Texas, right? To flew Bay. to Texas to interview Matt Rule. And do you remember what they talked about? Like what Tepper and oh, what was his name? Who was the GM at the time? Marty, Marty Herney. So Marty Herney at this point. Marty, Marty Herney. Herney knows, remember the what they leaked about that conversation? It was terrible. So Marty Herney at this point knows he is a dead man walking. Marty Herney does not care. Marty Herney says, I just came in here. His wife, Matt Rule's wife made meatballs. I was just eating the meatballs. These meatballs are great. <laughs> <laughs> and while I'm eating the meatballs, David Tepper walks in the room. Matt Rule comes out with a seven-year, $63 million contract. Right. So, while yeah. Marty Herney was uh, off the meatballs. They're sitting there listening to Matt Rule talk, and they're like mesmerized. There's like stars in their eyes. Oh, my gosh. we got to hire this guy. He's got a plan. He knows what he's going to do. So then they like basically go back to North Carolina. And then they, they call him up and just make him an offer he can't refuse. They, they do the Godfather thing. Yeah. Now, had they, by the way, not done that, do you know who was next on their list to interview? Kevin Stefanski. Kevin Stefanski. So from the bottom of all Browns fans' hearts, thank you for not taking our guy. <laughs> Let me just First say, of all, I wanted Stefanski really bad. I did not want Matt Rule. I always wanted Stefanski. I always thought he was a great head coach. Oh, uh, he's he, I think he's a great head coach. It's hard to convince Browns fans he's a great head coach. All right, hold that thought. We got to do our our uh station break here. So, guys, after the break, we're going to continue this conversation. I'm going to go on about my Matt Rule hate and uh I'm sure that we'll talk about the process. So, just hold on. I'm going to pay the bills. Hey, I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I tell you what, guys, I hated Matt Rule. I can't even dis- express this. So they 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 offer this guy can't, something he can't refuse, right? Then he shows up and he runs the whole team like it's a a college football program, which is absolutely terrible. Urban Meyer tried this in Jacksonville, and we saw how that ended. But Tepper said we learned something from that process. One, because there wasn't a process, and two. <laughs> They okay, you know, so he did what businessmen do, right? He's learning the business side, got COVID. Now we're going to get in this process, and now his team's a four man team, and they're just kind of like interviewing people. What do you think of that process? What, what, what does that strike you as? I'm going to say to you guys. You go first. I think I, I think Tepper finally learned from some of his mistakes. As much as Panther fans hated the Matt Rule era, um. Part of me is glad that we went through it because I think David Tepper needed to see what it was like to fall flat on your face. And 
you know, I can say this as a Rock Hill native. Um, for those of you who don't know, Rock Hill, South Carolina was set to be the headquarters for the Panthers, that we're going to build our headquarters here. And I don't know what happened between Tepper and the city, but it fell through. And a lot of people in the area were really upset about that because they had started to build the infrastructure of the, the building. And literally, David Tepper said, well, if you're not going to be able to pay this bill, well, I'm not going to finish it. So guess what? He left the project. And now Rock Hill is left tearing this down uh, when it was like maybe a third of the way built. You know, so you have the structure that's halfway built that the owner of the team that we love has just left. So that left a, a bad taste in a lot of Panther fans, you know, mouth right now. But I do believe that he is on the road to redemption based on what he has done lately. So I can honestly say that. I feel like he's finally learning from his mistakes and going in the right direction. What do you think, Braden? Is he going in the right direction? I agree, definitely. So one thing is I'm going to separate the uh, business side of the operation from the uh, football side of the operation. I think there are some things that I personally would complain about on the business side of the operation. Or on the football side, I think he has improved substantially. One, you know, Tepper, he was the richest owner in the NFL. I think he's... Uh, second now after the uh, Walton family bought the Broncos. But he put his money where his mouth is. He spent all the money he gave Frank Reich and the unlimited budget to build the staff out. And I think we did a tremendous job. I also think we're doing a great job building our front office out. We've gone out and we've gotten uh, Dan Morgan, brought him home from Seattle. Uh, this offseason, we actually added um, Adrian Wilson from the Cardinals, who's been often to be a uh, future GM candidate. So I think he is spending money on the operation. We uh, handed out a lot of free agency deals this year. We're very active where we uh, mm -hmm. push money into the future Saints style, which requires the owner being willing to pay an escrow in advance of player contracts, which he showed he's willing to do. So Now, now let me be clear here. They may be required to put that money in escrow. They don't have to. They may be required. That's a, that's a big deal up here in Cleveland, by the way. <laughs> Do you guys but, know that, that David Tepper has a pair of brass balls on his desk? I do, I do. Yes, we do. Okay, you know, I was I was just a, a comp another complete side note. I was, <laughs> uh, you know, going to invest some money in the stock market, so I thought, I'm going to do the, what, what I do. I'm going to learn everything I can about the stock market. So I took this, uh, I got on Wondrium, this place where you can take all these courses. And I took this course on the history of people who have transformed the stock market. And this lecture comes on, they start talking about David Tepper, and I'm like, this can't be the Panthers owner. And apparently it was. But one of the things they said was he has a pair of brass testicles on his on his desk because his his coworker his uh, employees bought him a pair of brass testicles because that's the the way he rolls. I, I want to compare Tepper to <clears throat> the beloved and I say that <clears throat> beloved owner here in Cleveland of Jimmy Haslam. All right. Now what also a Bucks owner. Do what? Now also a Milwaukee Bucks owner. Yes, and, and they also own the Columbus Group. But that's kind of what I'm getting at here. The evolution of an ownership in Carolina, I think, is happening much faster and at a more healthy pace than it has in Cleveland. In Cleveland, right about the time you guys are in, in the tenure line, right, that you're drafting Bryce Young, our owners out there on the streets of Cleveland listening to homeless people telling them to draft Johnny Manziel. Oh, now, my God. That's that's the parallel of the time frame right now. You're getting Bryce Young. We're getting 
homeless people telling us how to draft quarterbacks. <laughs> so <laughs> I think you're doing okay. You know, the other thing is I think the Haslam family, you know, the, uh, <clears throat> the Haslam family had Pilot Flying J bought, and it was bought by um, Berkshire Hathaway, right? And you guys can look that all up. But <clears throat> so they, they don't really, they've basically liquidated their business. So now they're putting it into things like the Columbus Crew, and they they purchased the Columbus Crew, and they purchased a quarter of the Milwaukee Bucks. So our owner, praise God, is now occupied running the Haslam Sports Group, which operates all three of those teams. Um, not the Bucks; they're just a partial owner. So now D Haslam, who is Jimmy Haslam's wife, actually runs the football team. And since that has happened, we've hired Paul De Podesta. We've, <laughs> well, actually, we've had Paul De Podesta, but we've hired. Um, Kevin Stefanski, we've got brought in some other people. We started using a more analytics-based. So we're finally getting there. But you guys are getting there much faster, which which is a good sign for Carolina. I think you guys have a good defense set up, and you're ready to go. I want to get back to um, <clears throat> Bryce Young. I want to intersect Bryce Young and Kung Fu, because this is where the problem I see with Bryce Young. Not the problem, but a concern. When you get shorter quarterbacks – they throw off their toes. So, Delmar, I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to put myself on a limb. If you were on your toes and tried to throw a punch, would that be effective? No way. No, you, okay. there's so, no power. How do you get power in Kung Fu? Well, I mean, one, you have to be rooted to the ground in some way, shape, or form to push off the ground. Right, so you have to be rooted and pushing off the ground. Go look at Bryce Young's tape, and he is always on his toes. He dances somewhat in the pocket. The exception to this is when he knows what his first two reads are, and if they're open, he's flat-footed and he throws. When he starts to panic, he starts to get up on his toes, and he starts to prance a little bit. And then when he's throwing over the pocket, he tends to throw off his toes, and sometimes he'll even fall back and throw off his toes. When he does that, his ball starts to lose power, as you would expect, right, Sifu? I'm going to call you Sifu for this one. You're, you're going to lose power. So my concern is when you get into the NFL, he's going to lose some power in his throws. Anybody want to talk about this? Because somebody tell me how I'm wrong. Because, honestly, the guy from New Orleans, you know who I'm talking about, used to throw off his toes. Baker Mayfield used to throw off his toes. Well, I, okay. So that is a concern. I can definitely say that is a concern. Um, but I believe that, I mean, based on the process that this coaching staff has had, I believe that's something that can be coached out of him. Um, I do feel like the process, as we go back to, was so well thought of and so just analytically based that I believe that they are going to be able to correct mechanically some of Bryce Young's faults. I mean, every quarterback has got some mechanics that need to be fixed. So I think that may be his fault. And um, I do feel like they'll be able to scheme some things where um, hopefully he's not doing that as much. But, I mean, it is a concern. Yeah, I mean, like I said, his size, no matter how you put it, it is always going to be a concern until he bulks up a little bit. You don't jump in on this, Braden? I, say, I agree. I mean, I, wouldn't, yeah, I can't dismiss the concern entirely. But I would still say in compar- like in comparison to other quarterbacks in this class, I think show issues that are more severe than that. Then I also think he does things in tape in terms of being po- being pocket aware, having like say good footwork on those first two reads. Where I think it is a correctable issue. I, I think 
let me I'll get my opinion out here on Bryce Young. I think it was a good pick. <clears throat> Personally, I'd have taken C.J. Stroud, but I don't, and I don't think that's a bias. There's there's some reasons behind that, but I don't think Bryce Young is a bad pick. It's a good pick where you've chosen a certain set of issues that need to be corrected over another set of issues that need to be corrected. And I think this kind of gets back to Braden and I's discussion last time. What issues do you want to deal with, right? So I think he's a good pick. I'm actually pretty excited for Carolina football. I'm excited to watch it go down. I think it's going to be electric. I think the stadium's going to be electric. It's going to be a fun, fun football team to watch. And then, you know, in the fall, in the winter, we can watch the Browns play the Panthers in the Super Bowl. There you go. We're all beyond down for this. And that may actually happen in the NFC. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you get you just you got to have one bad game for the for the uh, Eagles in the playoffs, and you guys yeah. will be right in the playoffs. But <clears throat> I'm not really sure where I'm going with all this. I just gonna want to throw this some stuff out there. Is there anything, anything you guys want to say? Anything on your mind pressing about the draft, about Bryce Young, about anything about the Panthers you want to talk about? I just want to say it's nice to. I feel like the franchise has literally had like a shot of adrenaline uh, injected into it because now, no matter whether you like Bryce or you don't like Bryce, people around here are excited in some way, shape, or form. Or there, the Panthers have become relevant again, not only to the fan base but to the NFL in some way, shape, or form, and that feels yeah. good. Mm-hmm. And I think as a Panther fan, you know, we are finally seeing the light at the end of the tunnel where it's like, Hey, we might actually be pretty good if we do this the right way. And I think we're going in the right direction. You know, a lot of times, I mean, Braden will tell you, we've just been on the seat of our pants for the last almost 30 years where it's just like, well, we, we might be good, but I don't know. But I think now it's like, Hey, we got a chance to win the division. We actually have a quarterback. We got a defense. We got a coaching staff. The owner is not talking crazy. So we're finally becoming. <laughs> I think Browns fans would give a lot of money for that last statement. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's true. You know, we went to that time where David Tepper was just like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, what are you doing? But now it's finally like, hey, like, we actually might be an NFL franchise yeah. and we could be successful. I think you could be actually pretty darn good next season. I mean, I don't, I don't think people outside of the circle of Panthers fans know just how good that defense is. Yeah. That defense is tremendous. I mean, I, my gosh, I remember watching, uh, I tell this story all the time. Bravion Roy lined up in the one technique, chasing down Jacoby Hippocet from behind. Like that's the Carolina defense right there. You guys got fast, big guys and guys that run all over the place. Guys who can take up space, everything that defense needs. It has. Yeah, then I think we upgraded this coordinator far and away. Jira Ever, I think, is one of the fastest riders in defensive minds in the NFL. I, I'd be surprised if we were able to keep him for more than two years before he gets promoted to being a head coach. Because having a having elite defense with the absolute nightmare that Denver offense was last year, consistently holding teams under 20 points, is was absurd. <laughs> and I also right. feel like, you know, and this is no disrespect to Steve Wilkes, but us transitioning to a 3-4, I think it probably fits our personnel a little yeah. bit better, actually. How so? Give me more on that. Well, I mean, you know, like you said, we're a fast, aggressive defense. And, um, you know, I feel like, especially Brian Burns, you know, yeah, 
you put Brian Burns in a stand-up role, man, that guy is just so fast off the edge. I mean, his his body type, honestly, he was really never built to be a 4-3 defensive end. Yeah. He was a 3-4 outside linebacker. And now, you know, you think about, like, Marquise Haynes. Marquise Haynes can now go back to his natural position. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I mean, JC is going to man up on whoever he plays. Dante, if he comes back healthy. I mean, the Panthers, I mean, now we also can um, bring Chin back into being a linebacker. You know, I mean, it just fits the personnel so much better. And so mm-hmm. now I actually see us maybe ascending to that. Definitely we're going to probably be a top 10 defense. I, I I will stake claim on that. But we could possibly go into that top five where Edgero, I mean, he just, just knows how to run the defense. Yeah. Yeah, I think once you get an offense that can actually move the football, right, the defense is going to really show what it is. When the defense is on the field forever, you're going to have bad stats regardless. I mean that's what Baker Mayfield does to an offense and a defense. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> you're gonna be <laughs> you're gonna be on that thing. Speaking of Baker Mayfield, well let's go down this little caveat for a little yeah. bit. So Baker Mayfield, right, is gonna be playing in Tampa. Oh yeah. So how do you guys feel about this? I love it. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> the Buccaneers like fade the Buccaneers immediately. They're not winning. I don't know. They like found Baker Mayfield is allergic to having good receivers. It is the most baffling thing. The better his receivers are, the worse he plays. The better his receivers are. Now, if you want to get into this OBJ thing, we can, but I'm going to tell you this about OBJ. OBJ is not a number one receiver. Yeah. And he proved that when he was in Cleveland. And he tried to continue to be a number one receiver, and the Browns threw him out there as number one receiver, but he's not. And then when he went to the Rams, he was a number two. So, and he's, he was successful as a number two and, you know, the Rams run the same offense, the Browns do. And now OBJ is going to Baltimore and he's going to try to be a number one. So this will be a delight to watch as a Browns fan. And I, I, I always got to get my hating Ravens segment in, but that's my hating Ravens moment right there. OBJ to Baltimore. is just a thing of beauty. Just, just wait till Lamar Jackson can't hit him. And then his dad's going to come out with videos and crap. But anyway, I digress. Baker Mayfield over there in Tampa Bay, man. I think that's awesome. I, I can't believe there are people out there that still think he's a good quarterback. It's baffling. It is I don't understand that at all. Like, the thing I don't get, people say, like, oh, you know, it, it's the fifth offensive coordinator's fault. But, like, okay, in this exact same offense, that horrible, horrible, terrible Ben McAdoo, which, I mean, I agree, he is horrible and terrible. But Sam Darnold, P.J. Walker, both immediately came in and were just – light years better than Baker Mayfield running the exact same offense. Like, I, I don't want to hear it. I won't lie. I didn't expect him to be that bad. He was really, really bad. <laughs> he was literally the worst quarterback to play in the NFL since it Jimmy Clausen. Horrible. Where Jimmy Clausen was intentionally terrible. Man, we knew Jimmy Clausen was terrible, and we kept putting him out there. You're hurting my heart with Jimmy Clausen, man. My Notre Dame guy, you're hurting my heart, man. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't. I can't sit here and tell you he was good. I'm just don't like to hear my guys get ran down the the ring. I mean, look, we, we actually love Jimmy Clausen. Now, yeah, Jimmy Clausen say, yeah we do. Without Jimmy Clausen, there's no Cam Newton. So thank you, Jimmy. He's loved now. <laughs> look, he's a great guy. He got us Cam Newton, oh, and by being stubborn, he got us Cam Newton to wear number one, which is way better right. than number two. <laughs> Jimmy Clausen did a lot for this franchise. Jimmy Clausen succeeded where the Texans failed. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, Davis Mills, he's no Jimmy Clausen. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Jimmy Clausen, Jimmy Clausen has the agency to not throw that touchdown pass. 
<laughs> Did you see that play? Have you have you actually looked at that play? Yes, yeah, it's, it's like, ridiculous. Do you see all those guys just standing there watching this go down? Yeah. They're all like, "Oh, look, the balls!" In the, like all the defenders, right? They're all just like watching. All oh, the balls in the air. There it goes. I could I could have intercepted that, but I'm just gonna watch it go by. Oh, he caught it in the end zone, and like half the defense is like celebrating as much as the offense is. And I don't know who the poor sap was. I think it was Atkins, the wide receiver, who caught the ball and was like, "Yeah!" Like, yeah. like he did something good. <laughs> you know, uh, I like to imagine that Lovey Smith, you know, doing that, knowing he was getting fired, just drove home that day, just bumping some some Frank Sinatra. I, I ever tell you my Lovey Smith. <laughs> I ever tell you my Lovey Smith story? I don't know. We, we have time. I can tell you the Lovey Smith story. I was, I was, um, oh man, 2002, three, four, right in that range, five. Okay. Lovey Smith was, uh, coaching the Bears, and the Bears were training their training camp where I was teaching at the time. So it's Olivet Nazarene University in Kankakee, Illinois. Actually, it's in Bourbon A, but they use Kanky as the address. So <clears throat> I was working security because you were allowed to volunteer for security. And I would just, I love football, right? So if I'm going to have a chance to be on the field with the whole team. So I'm down there watching Bears practice every day. It was, it was phenomenal. So they had this little ramp that goes from the locker room to the field. But it also, there's no way to mark it off because the fans can walk all the way around it. So it's kind of like the field, and there's this walkway from the thing, and it just can't got to walk down through it. So they roped it off to keep fans from walking through. And so they had this kind of little latch thing. So Lovey Smith loved to drive around in his cart. He loved it. He had this little golf cart, and he drove around from all the fields. Well, he used to just fly, and, like, fans would be in his way, and he'd be, you know, trying to hit. I mean, he hit one buddy. He hit one person one time. Just flying through. But before you could get past this walkway, you had to stop the cart, take the cord off so that he could drive through. Yeah. Well, somebody was telling him, hey, Lovey, you need to slow down. You could blah, blah, blah. Ah, this is my camp. I'm like, okay, whatever. So one day I'm walking back from, I was on the other end of the field. I'm walking back. Players are coming out. Here comes Lovey Smith in this cart. I'm like, it's going to happen. This is the time. It's going to happen. And he drives up. And this thing hits him like, bam, right on the chest. He does this like flip backwards off the cart thing. And I'm like booking it up there. To, I run up to him. And I'm like, hey, lovey, welcome to Camp Kiki Key, baby. And like I took off. <laughs> I just ran. I ran as fast as I could just to like make sure he knew it wasn't me. <laughs> so I didn't get fired. But that's my lovey Smith story. Welcome to Camp Kiki Key, baby. <laughs> But he did his feet went up like he did like one of those somersaults like feet up and over and off the back of a cart. It was phenomenal. And every time after that, he like got real slow, waited for them to let the cart lift the string go, and then he went through. It was it was it was a phenomenal time. So it strikes me as completely in character for him to oh, win a football game when you should lose the football game. It's completely in character. Okay, guys, we got to wrap this up. It's been fun chatting with you. But any parting shots? Anything you guys want to say in closing? Uh, this was fun. It was great. Um, can't wait for the football season. Um, go Panthers! Hey, hope the Browns have a great season too. Yeah, we'll see you in the Super Bowl. All right, <laughs> Braden, you got anything, man? I'll throw in one little last piece of Matt Rule slander to show you how far this coach staff has come. All Matt Rule's coaching staff. Our assistant, actually, I think he was our head defensive backs coach because Wilkes our assistant DBs coach. 
our head defensive backs coach, will simultaneously our director of pro personnel. Wow. I, I don't even know. think the Browns have done anything that stupid. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we had an on-field coach serving in a prominent front office role. Well, no I'll tell you what. Then why not? <laughs> I, I can't top that stupidity. So we'll just we'll just leave it from there. So thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, that's probably one of the dumbest things I think I've ever heard in my life. Thanks, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the What the Elf Was That podcast. Please like, subscribe, and tell all your friends to give a listen. You can follow host Joel Cade on Twitter at The Left Guard. 